Welcome back to our growing experiment. We're here with Carrie from Sudbury Shared Harvest. That's an organization with a mission to cultivate community health by connecting people and food. So Carrie, can you tell us a little bit about the organization, how it got started? Yeah, um, well, it actually, I, I'm sort of the person who started it. I say sort of, because some other people helped me get it started by, by joining the initial board. Because um, we are a nonprofit organization and actually now a registered charity, um, but it all started uh, almost ten years ago, actually in the fall of 2013, um, more as a um, and the idea of a food rescue organization. If people are familiar with um, organizations in other cities, or maybe they heard of Fruit for All when it was Fruit for All. Um, so the idea was to like collect fruit and than vegetables at times, it sort of started mostly as fruit, but um, from when people had too much in their backyard or around their property and to um, redistribute it to different food organizations, community food programs that use, you know, that make meals for, um, you know, people without homes, et cetera. And so um, it started as that and kind of evolved into focusing on food forests mainly, and um, kind of teaching people how to grow food and so on. Um, so, um, you know, I could go on and on, but I don't know if there's specific things you'd, you'd rather hear about. You can... <laughs> uh, maybe tell us a little bit about what a food forest is. Sure. So, yeah, a food forest, or sometimes we call them edible forest gardens too, and they're really, the terms are interchangeable. Um, the reason we started using edible forest gardens was we started out thinking that we might, you know, plant this, what is quite a large one start, to start with, it's Elkidozi, which is about 8,000 square feet. Um, but maybe that we would eventually expand on it over the years. And then because of the feedback we got from people sort of wanting, well, I want one in my neighborhood, like, why can't we do another one, you know, somewhere else? Um sort of switch to focusing on instead of making that one bigger on making us you know establishing a series of smaller um food forests or edible forest gardens so that's why I, as i say that we kind of started using the term edible forest garden because i think food forest made people think that it was going to be this giant forest and really the forest in the word either edible forest garden or food forest it's not really that it's an going to ever end up looking like a forest it's more about how ecologically it acts like a forest in that um, the plants are sort of uh, helping each other out and um, we're not we're not tending to it like you would uh, a regular garden I mean we do do some weeding and we do do some maintenance but um, if it wasn't for the fact that they're in city parks and schools you could really just leave it to maintain itself. We do it mainly, the maintenance is mainly to keep the city happy so that it will allow us to keep planting these uh, so that they it's, it still looks tidy-ish. Um, although, you know, it's not, it's not a, yeah, it's not a, you know, it's, it's not a manicured garden by any means. Um, but so the idea is, um, is of a food forest is really to have, perennial plants so we're not replanting anything we're not digging anything we actually use 
like a lasagna gardening method to start with, where we could start with a lawn or what, whatever we have, but generally it's just lawn area. And then, you know, planting things within that ground um, and then, you know, covering the areas around with, with cardboard and then layering on some, you know, garden soil or compost and then uh, mulch on top of that and planting other things within that, those layers. But, um, yeah, so it's, um, that was kind of a long way of not really explaining everything about um, food forests, but maybe just giving the basic idea of what, what it is. Okay. And so when you start uh, like setting up your food forest, now that you've been sort of doing this a while and you've and been doing it in different places, are there like sort of uh, food forest cornerstones? Like uh, plants that you sort um, of what do you mean rely on or you uh, sorry. Oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. familiar with that term. Um, yeah. I just... Yeah, um, yes, definitely. We we actually, so the first one when we started, are you hearing all that background noise? I, there's some construction going on outside. I'm sorry if, if you can hear nope, that. But, um, oh, good. I can hear it a lot, but that's fine. I will ignore it. Um, so, um, when we, the, when we first started with Delkey Dozy, we actually did, uh, pretty much a, a over a year, a, about a year of planning went into before we put anything in the ground. Um, and we had a, a committee of people that, uh, had different backgrounds, all, all having some experience with, with gardening, either, um, with specifically with fruit trees, with, uh, um, just, you know, having planted a lot of native plants locally here. Uh, some were just gardeners who wanted to get more into different kind of gardening, but had been doing lots of gardening for, even if it was just, you know, flowers and so on in, in the past. Um, and so um, they actually, I wasn't on that committee. Um, I was kind of like more of the overall organizer, kind of making the whole thing happen. But the specifically to do with the plants, they met uh, pretty regularly. I don't know if I can't remember uh, exactly, but throughout an entire winter. So what we did was we had um, I got a, a grant to hire what we what she calls herself a design coach. Her name's Benita Ford, and she's in Perth, Ontario, and she had already had quite a bit of experience with food forests. Um, I really had none actually, and <laughs> to be honest, like. I kind of ended up, it's, it's sort of funny that I'm doing this now um, because really I'm, I'm actually not very good at growing things myself. <laughs> I, I like to say I failed rhubarb three times, which is absolutely the truth. A whole other story you probably don't need to hear about. But so I've been really learning as, as we go along. As far as, as I said before, we started as a fruit rescue organization and I was more about, I had managed nonprofit projects for already quite a few years at that point. And that, you know, I know how to get grants and how to make all the pieces come together and get people together and recruit volunteers and, you know, all these things. Um, but actually growing things was not really something I knew a lot about. So, um, so I, my first step was, let's get a grant to bring in someone who really knows what they're doing. I just heard about food forests elsewhere, and I thought, 
why can't we do that in Sudbury? That's such a great thing. I, I want that to happen here. Um, and that coupled with some things with the Fruit for All program that were making it difficult, it sort of made sense to go in that direction. And so, um, so Benita really led us through this whole process. So she came in the, the fall of 2016 and did a workshop um, where she taught us kind of all about food forests. And then we actually planted like a little tiny mini trial run, which was like a sort of a 10 by 10 area around an apple tree that existed in one of the community gardens in the city that we had planted as part of a, another project a couple of years earlier. So, um, so we did the workshop and, you know, those people were really interested and some of them were, you know, involved in the committee that kind of spent this entire winter really researching different plants and what would grow here. How could we try to have as many native species as possible, but also wanting to have edible perennial species. And they started out with a really long list of, I think there was about 300 possible plants. And then the six or seven people spent time, you know, sort of debating different things. And, uh, you know, Bonita knew about many of the plants, but also there were some people who knew more about the local climate here. Since she's in Perth, it's different. Um, and so, you know, they kind of went back and forth and narrowed it down eventually to about 40 which is the original approximately how many different species were planted at, um, at uh, Delkey Dozy. Since then, we've kind of added a few wildflowers and some things didn't survive. And so I'm not sure if that's the exact number anymore, but we kind of tend to use that list. And actually it's on our website. Um, the, we have a sort of a little guide that just has a little few sentences about each plant and why we chose it you know, if, cause some of them are not edible and, you know, so some of them, it was, you know, because they maybe attract pollinators or um, maybe they also, are, or, or possibly are a nitrogen fixer. So, um, so that's kind of the basic guide we'll use for the, um, but, and some, like, like all of the other gardens since then are much anywhere from much to much, much smaller. So they, the other ones range from, like I said, the other Delkey Dozy one's about 8,000 square feet. The smallest one is about 250 square feet. It's really just a few fruit trees with, you know, some other plants around it. Um, some uh, fruit trees that had been planted again from this early, much earlier project where we just planted some fruit trees before we got started with food forests. So, um, and then, so there's the 250 smallest one, and then they range up to about 1,500, maybe 2,000 square feet, some of the uh, smaller ones that were, were planted after Delkey Dozy. So, um, so there wouldn't be as wide a variety of plants in, in all of them. Delkey Dozy probably has the full 40, and, but we do use that. Yes, it's, it's a useful guideline because it's all of them are things that grow here easily we've we've never watered um, again after the first season so of course watering while there are the plants are young um, but even through some pretty bad drought situations we've had for for many weeks of no rain you know they're all plants that can really take quite a bit of quite a bit of uh, dryness and heat in the summer. 
Well, and that, and that makes a lot of sense, right? Because uh, ideally that's what you want. If you want to have a place where you want to maximize the amount of things that are growing, it's kind of cool the idea of turning it into a food forest where you're, all the stuff that's growing there can also provide food. So being that there's a range and size of the different uh, like food forests that you guys are doing, um, what kind of sort of harvest do you guys get from that? Or, or uh, how, how does the production end of it go? Like how, how does that all work out? We, so we're only really just in the last couple of years starting to get some decent amount of food um, at Delkey Dozy. So Delkey, we planted the first phase, uh, about half of the size in 2017 this spring. So yeah, I guess we're going on six years coming up. And then the next spring we planted a second phase. Um, and then the other ones, there were some in 2019 and sort of every year afterwards. Um, but the, if just talking about Delkey Dozy for a minute is the most developed from that point of view. Um, we tend to get like, so first, I guess I should say that it's really different from a lot of the other people you probably will talk to on your podcast who, um, who are more thinking about, you know, producing for selling or even for themselves. But trying to you know feed themselves um although we would we would love for this to contribute to you know people being able to feed themselves really the educational aspect of it is really the most important thing that we we like we don't expect that we're ever going to produce enough food to sort of make a dent in you know food security in, in Sudbury from that point of view it's more of an indirect way of like so many people are interested in this and, you know, people will come out to, to a uh, work bee and just, you know, show them around and show them a few plants and they'll ask about things. And um, for people to be able to take that knowledge home and say, wow, yeah, I, cause sometimes when we started this, um, I used to get people surprised that we could grow some of these things in Sudbury. I mean, um, I was certainly surprised to find out less than 10 years ago that you could grow cherries in Sudbury. I mean, not the same type that you get in the grocery store, but cherries that are delicious and, and uh, um, are cherries and um, lots of, lots of things like that. I mean, most, a lot of people have never heard of Hask gaps. I certainly hadn't again until less than 10 years ago. Um, and so all of these things are like currants, you know, I was like, well, I think I, you know, currants, aren't those those little things that in Britain, they, <laughs> they put in like buns and stuff. And I just never thought, oh yeah, like you could grow currants in Sudbury. And there were already people growing currants in Sudbury. So just spreading that knowledge itself of what you can grow. Um, also having workshops where, you know, we'll have people, I don't know if you guys have, um, know of uh, Ron Lewis, um, but he, for many years, um, ran a business called uh, Lewis's Hardy Fruit Trees. Um, it, he sold it a few years ago, and it's now called Beautiful yeah. Field Farm and yeah. Fruit. I might have that Beautiful wrong, field something farm. like that. Um, yes. <laughs> and um, But Ron, like, had been growing fruit trees in, like, just outside of Sudbury, not in for, you know, I don't know, as a hobby, but then got into this small, made this small seasonal business for himself. Um, but like for, you know, 40 years now. Um, 
And so even when we started 10 years ago, he'd already been doing this for like over 30 years. And so, you know, we really leaned on him. He was on that committee with, and also involved, you know, has been involved all along. And, and we'll, uh, he gives, you know, gives us advice all the time and does workshops where he teaches people about different things we can grow and like how to prune fruit trees and all these, these types of things and just building that knowledge in, in the community so that there's more people that are able to, um, you know, to, to grow things and also to spread that knowledge to other people. So um, that's, that's a really huge, huge focus of the whole, of the whole thing is that educational aspect for sure. Well, and that's, <clears throat> that's really good too. Now that I kind of get that, like, uh, I, I like that idea because it's you're you're sort of uh, putting out sort of similar principles to what we sort of do when we built our garden. Like we wanted to use a lot of things that were perennial. We wanted to do as little maintenance as possible. We had an eye towards stuff that was more native to the area because of those first two things we mentioned. And um, also just for the variety and the sort of just they would do well here and all that kind of stuff. And that, that's that's great to see that's what you're doing because for a lot of people – they they don't really see it right, and you're 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 putting it in action, building the place. You're like, yeah, come here and come check it out. We can show you how this kind of works, and so that's good because the the real difference to be made is when people start taking this into their own backyards, really. And then that's just that one apple tree. If they get that out of your court, out of uh, going and seeing what you got there, or if they get a currant bush, if they're just doing any kind of little thing like that, that little thing will help that individual with their food security or their family. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, and I we, we have started to get more fruit. And I mean, some of the, gar like all of the gardens, one, one that we planted just in June, um, we, and we had quite a few strawberries in there. We do the day neutral strawberries. So they really produce, you know, sort of like a small they would produce like a small crop in June anyway, and a bigger crop later in the season. And in September, and actually in October, because of the long fall we had, if you remember, I don't know if you remember that, but it was, mm -hmm. we had a really long fall. Um, there was like lots of strawberries from, I believe, 20 strawberry plants initially, um, you know, sort of dotted throughout in between all the other stuff. and you know, kids in this um, park where we, we planted it were just, you know, excited about these strawberries. And, like, that was just three months in, you know. So there are exciting things like that that happen, like um, the currants at Delky Dozy, for example, have just done super well from day, not day one, but year one, like a year after they were planted the, that first spring or June, I guess it is around June or so when the, July, I guess, when the currents happen, we had a, lots of them already in that first year. And then every year, the currents have just really done well to where this year I kept, I put it on Facebook about three times. Hey, come pick the currents. There's still more. And people were like picking them and somebody was posting that she'd made jam and stuff out of them. And it was still like, there's still more, come pick them. So it depends. And there, there were actually this year were a lot of apples. Um, but they, they, in previous years, we have had a lot of insect issues and we've been trying to deal with that, um, you know, in natural ways. Um, but also, 
we don't, sometimes I don't know whether it's, you know, a flock of birds that come in and just took them all or someone came and picked them all before they were ready, but they, cause I was there at least once a week this year, this past summer. And I was there one week and there was lots of apples and the next week they would not have been ready yet cause they weren't ready. It was, it was August, but they were not ready and they were just all gone. So I don't know if somebody picked them all, not realizing until they picked them all that they weren't actually ready um, or it, it's hard to say, you know, and so things like that happen too. Like that's the way it works because it is out there for anybody to pick and there's, there's no rules. It's, we love people to get involved in helping maintain it, but there's no rule that you can't have any fruit if you don't participate. So, so we, we, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a crapshoot for sure. Yeah, and, and you're going to get that a little bit, right? But like you said, too, it's the, the real key of that is the educational part, right? You're really showing people and, hey, if someone someone has learned something there that this place here has an apple tree that produces lots of apples, or if it wasn't them that learned that, it was a flock of birds. And I mean, you know, that's all kind of part <laughs> yeah. of the whole the whole circle of the whole food chain anyway. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, another thing there, too. And so you mentioned that you're you're involved in a lot of non for profit uh, or that, that, that what you're doing is a not for profit. So like sort of what is that like structurally? How does that work? And, and that kind of thing. Right. So um, like a nonprofit organization, um, I mean, really, anybody can set up a nonprofit organization, but you you start with a, a founding board of directors, which has to be a minimum of three people. And, but there is a fair bit of paperwork that goes into sort of registering. I mean, the initial registration isn't that big a deal, but each year you have to make sure to keep up on that. Um, becoming a registered charity is kind of like a whole other level that is another level of paperwork and maintenance and um, even more rules about how you can do things so that you can maintain your charitable status. And um, so being a nonprofit does allow you then to apply for grants that are for nonprofits because, um, because like as a nonprofit, we, I mean, we can have, we, we don't, we don't have to spend every cent that comes in in that particular year. We are allowed a certain, you know, percentage of, our overall budget to be saved for like a rainy day type of thing for the next year um, or coming years. But you can't be like, it's different from a, like a profitable corporation in that, um, you know, a profitable corporation would either have shareholders that the profits would be divided amongst or a owner who could just take the profit at any time and have that, you know, be taken as, as profit. So I don't know if I'm explaining this that well, but, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, the purpose has to be for something that's like a community purpose. And so, yeah, like when we set up our, our uh, initial nonprofit, you know, we have to put that the purposes are, you know, to, I don't know the purposes offhand, but you know they're they're like community-minded purposes, basically. Okay, mm -hmm. and so like 
uh, I guess you have your idea, you have your initial founding board, and you decide that you're going to create this group, right? Your nonprofit group. And you go and you start doing that and you throw, you start applying for grants and stuff like that. And so uh, a lot of the members who started this board, they must be also doing some other job on top of that, as well as getting together and working together on this project. Oh yeah, absolutely. At the moment, I'm the only paid staff person. Um, the board, like I'm not a board member because a board member really shouldn't be a paid staff person. I think there's some rule that you could be partly or something, but it's better really just for a paid staff person not to be a board member. And um, this, so the, the, the board, yes, all the board members have other jobs. They just have interest in, you know, helping make this continue to, to thrive as an organization. Um, and so, um, yeah, so some of the grants, yeah, I mean, part of my job is getting grants to, you know, to do all the things, including the plants and the, you know, we have summer staff. We usually have some summer students. We get Canada Summer Jobs grants to do that. But like some of the grants have to be partly to pay me to maintain all the things, the administrative work that has to be done. And, and that gets more and more complicated as <laughs> as you go on although it depends uh, um, for a few years we had other staff and that that did make the administrative work get bigger I mean in in the beginning we when we started out like I did I do that but I'm also you know comes time to start planting things like organizing events and and uh, you know actually being out there planting stuff with people and going out to work bees and showing people around and and seeing what we need to do that week. And and so my job is like a combination of sort of like the administrative end of things and the and the um, actually getting out and, and doing stuff. And now that like for this year, we won't have any other staff other than some summer students who are just sort of temporary. You know, we only can get like eight week positions. So um, so this year I'll be doing a lot of that again just the being out there and you know kind of organizing things and meeting with people and and all of that well it sounds like you also get a lot of volunteers so that's really nice to kind of keep it moving forward right because it is something that you want to be a community thing so having community out there really uh really lets things move forward yeah absolutely yeah the volunteers are are super important and and a lot of that is to working with other groups like you know the community garden network and the food policy council and different organizations that other organizations that exist to sort of network around volunteers you know finding people that are interested in the same kinds of things and um because yeah of course Volunteers are amazing, but often people don't want to do the organizing part of it. <laughs> they, they, they don't necessarily want to be the one that, you know, okay, we're going to meet every week at this time, and then this is what's going to need to be done. They just kind of want to show up and be like, I can do whatever you need. So, um, so even organizing volunteers is kind of a job in itself, or part of a job anyway. 
Yeah, and at the end of the day, if you want a project that you have to do, there has to be some sort of structure in place to actually get the thing done, right? And that's that sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. You're like, all right, this is the thing we're trying to do. We're, we're trying to go and educate people. We're trying to do it by this way. And this is what we're going to need in way of volunteers to get this done. This is what we're going to need in way of grants to get this done. This is the project we're looking at. And I guess that's probably where you're working with the board and they're saying, oh, we have this kind of an idea for a project or this sort of a thing, or this is what we want to do going forward. Well, it's really great too, that you do get some summer students because I think it is important to get young people involved in this kind of thing too. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, Canada Summer Jobs is is amazing. Like I say, it's unfortunate that they only tend to give like eight week positions because it would it would be great to be able to have you know university or college students that are have a longer summer. Um, but just the program is excellent. Like and a lot of time. I mean, we I feel like we give students a really great experience too. It's not just a job. Like I don't think we've had a, a student yet who didn't love their job. You know, it was, um, it's, it's a fun thing to do, but you're also learning and yeah. So it's, it can be really great experience for other things as well. Yeah. I'm sure they see it as very rewarding to like starting out seeing it like as a seed. And then as time goes by seeing the fruit that's probably pretty rewarding for them. Yeah, I think in general, it's, it, it's rewarding for volunteers to like um, see some some people who come back year after year and sort of see or seeing it kind of develop. And yeah. now, I believe you also take this education component to the schools. Is that correct? Yeah, so we did we did really do a lot of that in the last couple of years. I did actually have two we had two other staff people for about the last two or three years. We had like first as interns and then we were able to keep them for with some other grants and but they were also doing like a whole program that is not gonna happen anymore in the summer that was all about growing actually annual vegetables at, um, they call secondary Hanmer. So um, more of like an urban farm type of project. And so that it was just, I think we bit off too much. I should say, I, I probably bit off more than I could chew there. Um, kind of a series of circumstances that led us in that direction. And, and it really was just, it really was a bit too far out of what we were you know, started out doing and it just became, it was, it's just too hard to maintain financially really, to be honest. Like, um, and so a lot of that was, we were actually able to reach a lot of schools through having obviously two more people um, for a couple of years. And uh, they did some amazing work, you know, in, in schools, um, developing some programming that kind of connects directly with curriculum. Uh, some of it connected with the farm, but also some of it specifically connected with the edible forest gardens. And I mean, we will be continuing to do some of that. We just probably won't be able to do as much of it as we were able to do in the last couple of years. As far as I think last year, I think we reached, and it might've been like 600 students altogether. 
um, and we just won't be able to kind of reach those numbers. But the intention is still to to do like working with schools is fantastic. You know, it's the the teachers love it, um, the kids love it. You know, it they they're learning something, but they're also um, you know, getting to actually do something with their, their hands. And so, cause the activities that we have are like, there will be some classroom activities, but there's also like getting out and, you know, actually planting things or doing things in the, in the gardens. And so that's something that yeah, we will definitely be trying. Like I've been, you know, during this winter, been applying for various grants and depending on what all we can manage to get. And, um, in the next, couple of years we'll kind of be aiming to sort of build that back up but um, to doing you know as much work with schools as possible yeah it's great to hear that that there's that interest there because that's that's where it all really starts right that's where that's why education is such a key thing because it really is shaping what the next generation is going to have uh, as as what it's trying to accomplish or what it's trying to do or how it's going to go about doing that and especially when you want to talk about food security, having these real practical skills that you're offering, that's exactly what you want to have. And furthermore, I mean, of course, the kids love it because I think at the end of the day, they would like to be outside rather than inside. Right. And I mean, along that same line of thinking, you know, uh, like the way the system of school works in, in a way is kind of like it's designed for like when you're working later on. It kind of gives you a routine kind of thing. It's sort of set up for like your job kind of thing. And it's not set up for like, you know, gardening food and all that kind of stuff, which was sort of an older way of being, but it's coming back now because people are starting to ask questions now that they're well-educated, you know, uh, where's the food come from? How did it get here? What are the, what are the actual resources that went into making this? And, you know, how much, how much responsibility or how much, uh, how much impact do I have on my own food choices? Exactly. And I, I think like um, there, there is really a lot of, we're noticing a lot of interest in this area, right? Um, we, we never put any advertising out to schools or anything. It all kind of came through word of mouth. Like I had a couple of teacher friends who started some things a few years ago with them just to kind of try it out. You no, know, we don't really have too much time because this season is so short and we already have all these other activities where we're trying to plant things and so on. So just do a little bit here. And it was, you know, it was really well received. And then, you know, someone at the school, another teacher heard about it and, you know, kind of, it's all been sort of, yeah, basically through word of mouth through teachers and, and students and so on that it's, you know, it's got, it got to the point where, yeah, we were pretty, like last year, we were really at maximum capacity. There was, we really couldn't, as it is, we probably said yes to a couple of things too many. And uh, like, that's, that's always an issue is like trying to balance, you know, we want to do everything. And every teacher that sends me a message and says, oh, I want you to come to the school. Like, I, I wish we could do everything. We, and we just can't necessarily always, uh, can't just time-wise, you know, reach everybody. But yeah, hopefully we'll be able to build that up as much as possible in the next few years. Yeah, we. That's. I would hope that too. Just because even when me and Jordan started talking about how we could really um, have people see or 
think more about where their food comes from and everything. We're like, well, if you start with kids in the schools, that's a good way to do it. So when I heard that you were doing it, I'm like, that's great. And by everybody kind of reaching out, it almost seems evident that that should almost be part of the curriculum anyway. Right. Kids should be learning that in school. But like Doran said, it's the curriculum isn't really showing that. Yeah, yeah, we were we were sort of finding places in the curriculum to, you know, it wasn't necessarily specifically about food security, you know, it would be like, you know, like grades such and such biology. Okay, well, they, they talk about, you know, how plants interact or something. And so we would take that piece that, you know, and say, okay, well, we could, because for especially for high school, it's not a lot of the elementary school teachers are happy just to have you do an activity and they think of it more of as a field trip and they don't necessarily aren't as concerned about fitting into the curriculum. But as the kids get older, of course, and they need to fit everything into their school year, they really appreciate it where you can say, well, this is in your unit X, you know, and we can have this activity and they'll, and here's like a quiz you can use that will sort of, you know, fulfill that. And um, so that really helps for sure. But I'm just thinking now, like if you wanted to say fit that in with like biology, I mean, or even say chemistry, right? Like plant is kind of a good thing for that in a lot of ways, because it, it is dealing with a lot of those different things. It's biology, of course, because it is a living thing. Chemistry, of course, because, most biological things have a series of chemical reactions going on in them that are a part of different processes, their respiratory processes or circulatory processes or whatever the case might be. And there's a whole bunch of ways you can go about that and tie that into things. So, and the, the other thing I like about uh, learning about gardening and stuff and food is because it's such a foundational base level thing, it does sort of hyperlink to all these other things that we can then further develop into uh, specialized fields, like a person who becomes a biologist or a chemist or whatever the case might be. But that practical working uh, with something that you can see and develop right there, that's that's kind of one of the best ways to do it. And it's, it's uh, putting the theory into practice. And especially nowadays, too, with uh, the amount of uh, attention we're paying to sort of uh, how, how well, our energy and stuff like that, like we're really focused on that. And so, I mean, what you want to focus your energy, you're kind of killing two birds at one stone where you could even say maybe have classes that are working on growing food as part of a project. Like say one of your credits is like, all right, we're plant because you got to think, I don't know how long a semester is in high school. Is it long enough to grow like say a tomato plant? You need 75 days for a tomato plant roughly, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's probably after two weeks of germination, let's say for your seeds. So you get like between seven and 21 days for your germination. Yeah, you would you would definitely be able to bet the season and stuff. You need like a greenhouse at the school. Yeah, you'd have to do lights or whatever. But I mean, it'd be kind of a cool project to do in a way. And then you could do it into growing all different other kind of plants. And then it could also be a study in um, like engineering because if say you're doing a hydroponic setup and you're doing lighting and stuff like that, you could tie in an electrician component. You could tie in... Uh, uh, like a sort of millwright mechanic type component because you're, say, dealing with like pumps and stuff like that. So that's a base level of hydraulics and stuff like that. Like there's there's a bunch of stuff you can tie in because it ties the shop class into the biology class. Yeah, it's probably more the funding oh, that Terry was talking yeah. about, right? That's probably the... Well, actually, you know what? 
we actually have a really neat project coming up. It was it's it was supposed to happen last year. Um, we got a grant. I guess we got it. I don't know over a year ago now because it was supposed to be the project was supposed to happen next this coming year. At, uh, no, sorry, last year at LaSalle Secondary. So um, there's a teacher there named Ray Gorzinski, and I had met him actually many years ago through something else. But um, a few years back, uh, probably the second year or so after we planted the Delki Dozy food forest, he had uh, heard about it on the news or something and got in touch and said he has a, um, he teaches a, a sort of an experiential education program called the Nagansuin program. And it's for specifically for indigenous um, high school kids who either dropped out and came back or risk of dropping out and really are not fitting into the kind of regular school system very well. And it's, it's completely experiential education. So he goes out into the community and they do various kinds of things and as, as their learning experiences to, to kind of um, get their high school credit. So they're, you, you know, just reaching the curriculum in, in different ways. And um, one of the things he had gotten really interested in was actually, um, yeah, growing hydroponically. And they had built, he has a, what he calls his um, living lab, his classroom at LaSalle that is all, you know, and they built it really low budget from, you know, plumbing parts. And he did lots of research with the students over, over the many years because now, you know, he's been doing this for about five or six years, I think, the program or seven years even that the program has been going. So um, they, you know, they have this kind of um, well, and with, uh, you know, lights and everything in the, and so they're able to grow stuff pretty much year round, except that in the summer, they're not there in July and August. Um, but, um, but it's quite small, it's in a classroom. And so he had always dreamed of a greenhouse and, and he like a, a solar geothermal greenhouse specifically, they had done all this research and this is what they wanted to do. And, oh, now maybe five years ago, they had actually tried to get a grant. This is before um, he had got, like come to the food forest with the students. And um, so, cause he came and brought them and we did a little tour and talked about it and all of that. But um, he had been trying to get this grant to try to build this greenhouse. And, you know, I, try, I think he tried for a couple of years and they didn't get it. And I think he just sort of gave up on it. I mean, he's a teacher full time. He doesn't really have time to be like dealing with all this grant stuff. He really, it was a thing they were hoping for, but he just, yeah, he just sort of didn't pursue it further. So then a few years ago or a couple, I don't know, I guess it's going on, but a couple of years ago, I had seen this grant opportunity um, with PV Mart, PV Industries, and, um, you know, work together, working with him, like it was actually a video application. <laughs> he, we did a video application and with him talking about the, the classroom they have and what they'd like to do and long, I'm making a long story long. Um, but uh, we actually got the grant and are planning to build a solar geothermal greenhouse. So he had come across this uh, company called Greenhouses in the Snow. And it's from, I think, I'm going to say Nebraska. It's, it's a, a fairly cold state. Maybe I'm thinking Wisconsin. Anyways, I'm sorry. I don't remember. 
which state, but if anybody's interested in looking it up, Greenhouses in the Snow website. So it started in the States, but they also make them for Canada now. And um, you can get sort of, it's a prefab kit, although you still have to do a fair bit of other stuff and, you know, some permits and something. It's not because it's bigger than 10 feet by 10 feet. The one we were planning to do is 66 feet by 17 feet. So it's a pretty big, um, big uh, thing. And um, so there will be some permitting issues anyways. The problem that came up was that originally where it was supposed to go on the LaSalle secondary site, they were in the middle of doing, building a new elementary school on the site as well. So there's now an elementary school there as well as the high school. And in the process of that, they had all kinds of issues with the ground and it led to there no longer being space for our greenhouse at the school. So Ray has been discussing an alternate location with some other schools and that's still just in the works. We don't know exactly where it's going to go yet, um, but it is most likely going to be built at another high school. Um, and hopefully this coming calendar year in 2023. Um, and so, yeah, the idea in the long term is um, for us as an organization, not just sort of getting the grant to help them make it happen, but also to be involved in, um, in trying to create jobs for young people through the greenhouse in the future. So especially because in July and August, you know, the school will be out and the, the students won't be there taking care of whatever. So that will sort of cut into how they, how they could work through the years. So the idea would be that us as an organization could employ young people in that summer period to, and hopefully some of these students that are involved, you know, would be interested in working. And so we can kind of create jobs, but also have them, um, operating this greenhouse and um, so with the idea that some of the food will go um, you know to be donated to food programs as we do with, with um, you know we did in the past with fruit for all but they could also be selling some of it in the same model as what we did with the farm last year where these young people were learning to grow food but also selling it in a pop-up stand and um, so similar kind of model to that so that's kind of the longer term view of it, but that's that's kind of neat. Just on the on the uh, topic of of greenhouse <laughs> greenhouses. Well, that's uh, that's really excellent school, too, because so. that's 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 a that's another project I'd love to see more of in schools. That's exactly what I think kids should be really learning to do, like because uh, that's the other thing too is like um, I think schools, or at least the attitude towards schooling nowadays, is generally we want to track everyone on a university track. Like we want everyone going to university. And it might be the case that there's a lot of people that really don't need to waste their time going to university. They could learn a lot of these sort of more practical skills and say when it comes to food production. And then even if, say, you get involved in building a greenhouse, that's not really basic skills, especially if you're talking about wiring, you're talking about insulation, you're talking about, you know, and depending on the level that you're involved in. And then you're a person with a real trade there, right? You're a carpenter or, you know, you're, you're a real tradesperson then. So, I mean, like a lot of that is really good and it also provides uh, that community building aspect, especially if you center it around a community project. 
And I, I think it makes people feel good to work together on projects. And that was another thing I, I'm remembering now that when you were talking about how much people enjoyed working uh, and learning on these projects and your volunteers enjoy it so much. I think it's because people have this built-in thing where we really like working together on a project and especially big projects. Like I kind of like thinking about the pyramids in a way, like, you know, you know, and they, I mean, that depends. You, you can get into the whole thing about that, but I mean, you think about these big projects that we do and we just sort of marvel at it, right? It's just, it's just sort of the, the sign of what human sort of working together and ingenuity can kind of do. And when you get people working together in a project that they feel good about, like it's, it's like it multiplies that feel good, right? Definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting. Like the way Ray kind of envisions it actually was that this would be sort of like a demonstration, like let's do this. And maybe other schools will be like, we want that, you know, and let's, try to make that happen at more schools. So, and also because a big part of like um, his program is called Nagantswin, it actually means leadership. And um, so a lot of what he's doing is trying to focus, is focusing on um, building leadership skills in the students. So, you know, he kind of foresees them actually giving tours to other people of the, of the, of the, uh, or younger kids from different schools, et cetera, um, of the greenhouse and being like, this is, this is our thing. This is how it works. You could do this, you know? So, um, so that all kind of fits in the same, along the same lines is what you're saying. Yeah. It sounds like uh, Ray would be a pretty interesting person to talk to there. It sounds like, like, I like that idea too of, uh, yeah. of that project. And like, it's a, it's a, it's a, a proof of concept kind of thing. Right. Like you get the idea, you kind of, you, you're bold enough to try it out and you show people actually, no, there's something really here. The kids love it. They're getting a lot out of it, a lot of practical skills. And, and, you know, and then that's just the inroad because that project there, you can build a lot on. You could, you can kind of revive a lot of the sort of uh, the technical aspects and the home ec aspects that used to be a part of what schooling was when say uh, my parents went to school. Because that's the other thing, say you want to go down the road to from your gardening thing, right? Well, you harvest the food and food is something you eat. And generally, we like cooking food. And there's a whole culinary art there, right? And that's and that's no little feat. Like when you think about like, say, if you're a person who, who uh, handles the cooking for your family, it is, maybe we take it for granted, but it, it is really nice to have a nice meal to eat together as a family after you've been out working and whatever else you're doing, right? Like getting together over a nice meal is uh, is a great pleasure in life. And so that's another thing that you want to learn. And, and that's, that's another essential skill. Yeah, actually some of the, the high schools do have like culinary arts programs and some of them have specialized programs like at LaSalle, they do have a green industries program. And so the plan was and hopefully would still be to include students from that program they they're looking at things like you know the technical aspects of you know something that could work that could be applied to say a greenhouse you know not that's not necessarily what they have been studying but it's like they they could apply some of what they're learning to that for example um and 
um, yeah, I think actually, yeah, Ray would be a interesting guy for you to talk to. He he knows he's really done a lot of research into the, these these greenhouses and stuff, and he could probably just just talk about well, and also his his little operation that they have now in the, in this in the classroom is pretty neat too. Well, even just as but, we're yeah, talking, it just you know, makes me think about how the schools have their playgrounds. Well, it just makes sense, you know have a playground and a greenhouse if all schools had that like we would be more ahead in this yeah for sure for sure i think a, a lot of people would like to see more garden education you know more kids getting involved in gardening like anytime i've heard about other stuff going on in the community um Community Garden Network does a program where they, um, well, it's not really the network, it's some volunteers within the Community Garden Network that have, you know, done um, uh, programs in schools where they'll start seeds with kids in classrooms and then take them out to the community garden to plant later. And, you know, the idea being partly to, you know, obviously to teach the kids about growing stuff, but also to sort of connect the schools with the community gardens so people know they're there and more people get involved and so it's kind of like you know win-win situation and um they, they just had a huge like for a couple of years they actually had some specific funding for it and they were able to do lots more of that and it's a few years back now and they just had such you know they have such a huge response to that like same as i was saying earlier about teachers just you know loving this kind of stuff wanting wanting more of it and um yeah i feel like there's a real hunger for it if you use the pun i guess yeah well that's uh that's excellent and uh thank you so much for coming in and talking to us more about that we're uh i know i'm glad uh to hear that i mean it sounds like you're doing exactly what we hope someone would be out there doing so thank you for for being out there and doing what you're doing and helping uh to bring some of these sort of uh, educational tools and uh, awareness of, of a lot of these different things to, to the community and to our schools and stuff like that. So uh, thank you for taking the time. And so if anyone uh, would like to get uh, involved with the projects you're involved in or uh, maybe be educated or something like that, how would the, they go about getting a hold of uh, you or, or your program? easy to find with like on google our website will come up right away sudburysharedharvest.ca um or on on facebook and instagram we're also Sudbury Shared Harvest. so pretty easy to find and usually um you know that that has a lot of information there's also a sign up sheet if people are sign up um thing on our website if if you want to um get our newsletters they, they're not regular about once a month we send a a newsletter in the summer there's more about you know if you want to come to a specific event we're doing this specific thing and and come out and help out and then in other times it's you know some more general news about what's going on with us what we have planned um, but uh, yeah I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you guys I've been uh, listening to some of your podcasts and I think it's it's just really neat what you've been doing and I love uh, I love that it's that you're, I don't know, it seems to be so um, really well received, right? Like people really, like I say, hunger for this sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much, Carrie. Yeah.
Thank you. Take care.